You're listening to the Ollie at UNT podcast, recorded at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, where we offer courses, events, and more for intellectually curious adults age 50 and better. To learn more about our program, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now, let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak, as she sits down for a conversation with one of the people who makes our program so special. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I am speaking with Dr. Reed Faring, Professor and Interim Chair of the Department of Geography and the Environment at the University of North Texas. Dr. Faring holds not one but two PhDs one in archaeology from Southern Methodist University and a Ph.D. in geology from the University of Texas at Dallas. His research has been conducted in the southern plains of the United States, in Israel, Portugal, the Ukraine, and the Republic of Georgia, where he was a Fulbright scholar. His principal interests are the evolution of human behavior and culture change over the last several million years. And welcome, Dr. Faring. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's good to have you here. You have such an amazingly diverse background. I have to say, I was blown away by a class you recently taught called The Language of God, Francis Collins' Science and Faith, not only because of the wonderful course describing Dr. Collins' journey from atheism to faith on his way to become the director of the Human Genome Project, but also and very much because of the versatility you demonstrate, ranging in your expertise from geology and archaeology to teaching a course that followed a under the category of philosophy and religion. I believe that makes you an official Renaissance man. Can you talk a bit about that, about your diverse interests? I missed the Renaissance. (laughs) I was late for that. So rather than call me a Renaissance man, I'd be much more comfortable if if I could be considered a person that um, has much broader interest than just what I have done professionally. And as I've gotten older as an academic, but also as a citizen of Denton, I've been, I've, be, I've decided, you know what, it's, it's time for you to start actually talking about things that are really important to me. And, and science and, and faith are issues that are very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I've struggled with that myself. I mean, I I was raised in the Episcopal Church, and then I turned, like all kids in the '60s, I left it in the, when I went to college, and then I and then I found a faith again through my scientific work. Wow! And so one night on the radio, I heard Francis Collins being interviewed about his book, The uh, Language of God. Mm-hmm. Well, I just turned the engine off and sat there and listened. And his voice just soothed me. He's such a calming, compassionate, brilliant man. And his story includes how he was able to reconcile his scientific views and his religious views. So 
uh, I don't sell Bibles on the street corner, right. and I don't knock on doors, right. and I don't proselytize. But I've taken some opportunities to try to reduce scientific illiteracy and also to try to open up people's eyes to the fact that a lot of the things that they might hear in the media or from the pulpit should be reevaluated and that one can be a person of faith and uh, support science that will protect our future. So Francis Collins was a, a ploy to make that case, and so this was a new course I developed for Ollie, and I specifically left time at the end of each lecture for discussion. And we really got a discussion going. I can imagine you must have had an amazing discussion. everybody was polite, and a lot of people were quiet, and a lot of people were vocal. My hunch is that I left some people curious, and I left some people not convinced that one can be religious and be uh, scientific. So you opened a door. That was my goal, Yeah, was to jostle people a little bit. Yeah and encourage them to think about things differently. A true intellectual. Now, you, you've been teaching at UNT since 1978. That's right. And what drew you to initially teach an Ali population, that over 50 uh, population that's still interested mm-hmm. in learning? What drew you to that? It's my favorite audience. Is it? Absolutely. I mean, I don't get me wrong, I love teaching undergraduates and graduate students, but... It is so much fun to be with a group of people who are there because they want to be there. They're excited to hear what you have to say. And anybody that's past 50 or 55, and and sometimes I ask for photo IDs (laughs) just to to flatter some people. But um, anybody that's retired or, or doesn't have to work that wants to hear fun and informative and hopefully some challenging lectures are the kind of people I like to be around. So I get as, you know, everybody thanks me for being a member of the Ollie team, and people come up to me after my lectures and thank me for that, and and I can't reciprocate fast enough. I thank them for coming and, and stimulating me to do that. I tell them very honestly, I get more fun out of lecturing, I think, than they do, because in some ways I'm like a, like a stand-up comedian or a stage actor, and I really get a wonderful feeling from the crowd. I love to talk to groups of people. You can tell when people are involved when you're talking to them, can't you? You can tell when they're really listening, and that's exciting. It makes it fun to share what you want to share. Absolutely. Now, you know, looking at your PhDs, archaeology, geology, uh, a lot of science in there, and um, but I wonder what what's your main focus? What's your main interest? Where have you evolved into your primary interest right now? Well, the the archaeology. My first degrees were in archaeology. I did anthropology, and then and then focused on archaeology in grad school. Did work. I, I spent three, almost four years in Israel. So I became very interested in archaeology as a way to study the human past. But working in Israel, I, I became much more acquainted with the old world academic tradition, which is strongly oriented towards the natural sciences. And I, be, I felt ignorant about geology and 
to really do my kind of archaeology, I'm, I'm a prehistorian, you need to see the context and you need to date sites and you need to reconstruct past environments. So it's not like excavating in the classics. And so I thought I need to get more geology under my belt. When I start, I took my first classes in geology at UT Dallas, it was like I, I married the wrong woman. I really <laughs> was meant to be a geologist, you know? <laughs> And I got carried away. And I think you're just interested in everything. That's what it <laughs> and is. I which got is carried awesome. away and finished yeah. a PhD in geology. So uh-huh. I joined those together. I merged them into what we call geoarchaeology. And I'm I do I'm I'm just interested in lots of things. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, I've started reading a lot more history. I love American history, and, and I love European history. Um, I started reading fiction. My wife can't believe that I actually have started reading novels. <laughs> when you talk about that, uh, your interest in culture change, the, you had made a comment to me about uh, teaching what impels people to want to live in cities and that kind of thing. And I found that as a very interesting comment. Um, where, where are you... Uh, are you teaching that now? Are you studying more mm-hmm. of that now? I teach a course at North Texas called The Origins of Civilization. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a classic course in anthropology departments. So I compare the rise of complex societies and cities in Mesopotamia with the same sequence of changes in Mesoamerica, and I focus on the Maya area. And I stress the fact that there's good reason why we call this the New World. And that is because until 15,000 years ago, there were no humans here. And so it's literally like we sent a spaceship to another Earth-like planet 15,000 years ago and dropped off a load of hunter-gatherers and said, let's see what happens to them. And within a few thousand years, they found the ancestor of corn. They found chili peppers. They found squashes. And they domesticated those, and they used the, the economy of food production to start living in villages. And pretty soon we start seeing specialists, and then we start seeing long-distance trade, and then we see cities and kings and armies and language and science, and I mean writing and science. And it's literally like history repeated itself. So not only for my students at the university, but at Ali, I said, are we looking really at a, a human imperative? That that's what we were programmed to do. And really raises the question of what is it about humans that makes them want to live in these huge, densely populated areas and have formal religion and formal armies and hereditary kingships and writing and science and all of those things. It really raises the question about human nature. You know, I think of that Winston Churchill statement about history, that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And listening to you talking about all of the cultural advancements that have gone on since the beginning of people mm-hmm. populating, I, I see there's some sort of a parallel there, don't you, in learning these things in the past mm-hmm. and how important it is for us to understand things today? Do you well, see that? That's a, that's been another change in my OLLI courses, is that I very specifically now choose topics and discussions, end up focusing on uh, us looking at ourselves. 
How interesting. Yeah. How interesting. That's so, a wonderful tie-in. Well, because, you know, I mean, everybody, you know, all my life, people at cocktail parties have said, oh, I always wanted to be an archaeologist. That must be so fun to dig <laughs> in these foreign places and everything. And so there's this mystique of archaeology that's very popular. It's the National Geographic right. way of looking at things. And and I thought, uh, I can't do that anymore. I, I can't end on pottery and bronze I feel a responsibility to try to get people to use the past as a sounding board for the present. And, and so I end up trying to promote people's thinking about and talking about, discussing, you know, what, what does this mean? So our chaos today is not new? Is that what you're saying? Not a bit. <laughs> my, respond, my retort uh, or response to Winston Churchill would be from Mark Twain. Yes. One of my favorite sayings from him was, is um, uh, history never repeats itself, but sometimes it rhymes. <laughs> when I came here from New York, I used to hike on the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. And so I checked out the hiking trails around here, and I was very surprised to see there were hardwoods here. And lo and behold, there's also a state park with dinosaur tracks. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that you participated in an archaeological dig at uh, Louisville Lake and then another lake close right. by. I've done a lot of work around North Texas, yes. And you made quite an incredible find. Yes, I found the Aubrey Clovis site uh, along with my eight-year-old son, Taylor. Oh, he and was I, with you? He was with me the day in 1988 when we found the site. He has since taken credit for the discovery. <laughs> but, Smart boy. <laughs> um, it was a turned out to be a very rare find. First one in 50 years. Well, it has quite a distinction, too, does it not? Yes. I mean, it is the oldest. Oldest Clovis site. In North America. In North America. Yeah, that, that bears right. uh, stating and repeating. And the thrill for me was that the Clovis culture bears strong... Um, similarities to old world technology and culture, in particular the Upper Paleolithic, which is what I worked on for my PhD in Israel. Interesting. And so I'm still captivated by the thrill of archaeology. I'm not ashamed to admit that. And when we started finding artifacts that looked like things I had seen in Israel that were the same age practically as the Clovis culture, all of a sudden the, the reality of the connection between the old world and the new world was right there in my hands. That's incredible. It and is from incredible. right here, from right here in this area. Absolutely. That's amazing. And so, to me, it's exciting to think about those events in human history. Imagine coming all the way from Eurasia to Texas pretty quickly at that. That also evokes questions about why do humans do that? Why do humans explore? In my work in Georgia now, my my big new comparison is between humans and wolves. We are, wow. we, are, we are very similar. Charles Darwin said, you know, if you look at behavior and facial expressions and nonverbal communication, the, the best analog out there isn't chimpanzees, it's wolves. How interesting. I said, had never yeah. heard that before. He said, that's why we love our dogs so much, and that's <laughs> oh, why they sense. love us. Wow. Absolutely. So one of the similarities between in the evolution of wolves and humans is that 15,000 years ago, the mammals with the greatest distribution all around the world were humans and wolves. 
and we lived in the same places. And we were able to adapt to the Arctic and to the tropics and to the deserts. And, you know, we can live anywhere. And we're very social creatures. Right. Yeah. And we, yeah. I see we the have parallel. dens where we yeah, take care of definitely. our pups. And so when we look to the animal kingdom to find analogs for humans, there aren't too many things out there. Of course, we are, there are animals that, you know, the textbook things. There are animals that are faster and can smell better and hear better and see better than we do. But the biggest package of those things can be found in wolves. Wow. Yeah. Well, I actually, I, I can't wait to see what you come up with in your next classes. I know, especially since you say, you know, your interests are continuing to grow and continuing to expand. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for another topic. Well, we can't wait yeah. to hear it. I thank you so much, Dr. Faring. This has been Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas with Dr. Reed Faring, Professor and Interim Chair at the Department of Geography and the Environment and an OLLI faculty member. Thank you for listening.